0: Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's special episode, live from Paccon, Raul and I are calling out everyone that's blaming bad results on current market conditions. And what's even better is we're helping you what you could do about it. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: Tony, how are you liking the Pakon so far? We're here, by the way, recording live at the Project A Knowledge Conference. How are you liking it? Uh, I think it's fantastic. Really
0: awesome people around. I also had my first beer already, but it was alcohol-free, by the way. It's always a good time to be here in Pakon.
1: Is that the thing you miss here about Germany? Because I mean, you have to know Tony's German. Um, don't don't spill that secret. But yeah, it's out now. <laughs> uh, is that something you miss, or is it as good in, in Denmark? No, Denmark has plenty of beers. Don't really? don't
0: worry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So how come that was the first thing you got then? Because I was thirsty and that was available. Okay. (laughs) What are we going to talk about today, Tony? We're going to talk about that people
0: need to stop blaming the bad results that they're having in their go-to-market engine and their revenue engine and their machinery, basically, on all the environment. They're like, oh, macro is bad, so macro environment is bad, and hey, let's just blame that. So we have a good excuse for the board for ourselves why a machine is not running as efficient as we actually want it to be, right? And
1: to a degree... You and I are calling
0: BS on that.
1: I mean, I'm not calling BS on the fact that the market is doing whatever the market is doing. Yeah. I'm calling BS on the fact that it has to affect you only negatively even. I think there is also some upsides to them, yeah. which we'll talk about in a minute. Some very obvious ones, some maybe less obvious ones. But then it's just, I mean, it's the same for everyone. So what are we going to do? Stop selling? Well, you know, so that that is one way to kind of approach this. But
0: the other thing is, if you look at Gartner, if you look at G2 Crowds, they did their surveys, they have their expectation on IT spend and so forth. And they actually projected 2023 and 2024 to be double digit of growth for IT spend in general, right? Which is fairly consistent with what it has been doing in the past. So when you kind of read those numbers and then compare it to like everything is imploding, how the fuck can that actually be? Yeah,
1: Interesting, of course, is how it was before. I don't know yeah. if you have these numbers. Is it still is it growing compared to the years before? No, it was like basically it's
0: basically in line. Basically in line
1: with what it's has line, been, it's it has It's in line with the, with the growth yeah, as before. Yes. So that's spending for B2B software. Yep. It's interesting, isn't
0: it? No, I mean, and this really kind of gives, I think, the, the main clue around, wait a minute, something is off here, right? This actually should be going in a different direction. We're all complaining about it. So why is it happening, right? So this is, I think, kind of the main question people might be having around this. And I'll just go ahead with my take here. I believe that the environment uh, that we're living in right now, it simply has started to add a little bit more scrutiny to how you sell and how you buy, right? And given the crazy times that just happened before, so the one or two years before, basically, people were hiring a bunch of sales reps, basically out of school, everyone was buying whatever you were selling, Everything was great, but it didn't foster actually an environment of really understanding the basics of sales, really kind of nailing all of those different, you know, steps through building a strong case and so forth, right? Which then resulted now with a simply different environment and a lot of deals going nowhere, right? And to talk to Jaco from Winning by Design and kind of his main point is actually really that while the average sales rep a year or two ago has been like hitting 70%, it's now down to 20 or 30%, right? So it's a crazy, crazy drop off, but the top percentile actually stayed the same. Yeah. So really the sales reps that knew what they were doing uh, two or three years ago are basically still successful in today's environment, right? And I think this is one of the main clues here that when you really think about it, the you know parts of this can absolutely be, I don't want to say blamed or something like this, but part of the reason can totally be you know put to the feet of those sales reps, right? Kind of that didn't get the enablement that didn't give the, you know get the tools in order to actually be successful in what they were doing in the first place
1: I mean you have to put the blame on the companies in the end cuz they hired them and they did not it's always enable a, them it's always and- that. Um, So I think uh, I totally agree with you. I did a podcast with a guy, a very interesting character, Benjamin from the UK, the UK's most hated sales trainer. And he said something in a podcast with it, which was the average salesperson in 2021 is so much worse than the average salesperson in 2020 or in 2010 or even in 2000. So basically, there was just this bubble of sales is paying a shit ton of money for really not that much of performance. And it's even easy to sell because everyone's buying everything right now. And in that kind of environment, obviously, everyone's interested in getting into sales. And it's true. Like, there was a big push of people going into sales. We saw it at Project A. So my department grew from one person to 15. And I hope that we're better than average or better than we should be. But the demand was there. And so I think that was the one thing. There's sort of a bubble of sales happening in general. That leads to a lot of people coming into sales who maybe are not actually that interested in it and just want the easy buck. And they can get that buck with not a lot of work. Now, everything has changed. There's a lot more scrutiny. How that comes to be, we can talk about in a second. But it's just way more difficult. So you're reaching 20% quota or 30% quota as opposed to 70 on average. But if you're good at what you're doing, you're still good at what you're doing. It's just that sort of the, it's not impossible, but the jump off point to where it's good enough to sell, it's just much, much higher. So let's kind of peel this a little bit back
0: and make it a bit more tangible, right? Kind of you're throwing some statistics around and, hey, that should be easy. You know, why is everyone struggling so much? But from your perspective, what are the like the one, two, three items that sales folks are not getting right right now? To your point, you know, be better prepared, better educated, better trained, would actually be doing much better.
1: So I think the we've heard this before, and I said this in another context, I didn't uh, invent that. The CFO is the new CEO. You've yeah. heard that too, probably. Yeah. And. I think really understanding that and the implications of that is, is a big deal. So when, when shit hits the fan, the CFO becomes much more important because burn rate becomes much more important, how much cash you have in the tank. People straight change their strategy to retaining money and, and just making sure they survive until the wave's over, whatever that means. But it's what's happening. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it, it's what happens. And so when companies go into cash, mode, uh, cash saving mode, they immediately go into, okay, we have 60 tools. How can we cut down to 10? Right? We had sort of this wild growth of tools. We had sort of a very low barrier of getting into new things. And naturally, the person who is typically sort of the enforcer of that is the CFO. And so, as well, for getting into a new company, the CFO is much more important than it used to be maybe two three years ago, but also for staying in that company, which leads to a couple of things we're going to talk about also maybe, but like, for example, customer success becoming much more important. Yep. And so... Learn to understand what a CFO needs. A CFO communicates maybe differently from us, from a CEO. Maybe it is much more bottom line than top line, for example.
0: You think this whole, you know, push on ROI. I mean, I have my own perspective on this, but this whole push for ROI, everyone's asking for a return of investment. What what do you think about that, actually?
1: I want to know what you think before I say it. I
0: think think it's a little bit BS. That's what I actually think about this. I think it's a great tool. If you're the CFO, if you're the CEO, if you're someone with decision-making power, to just say no without needing to say no, right? One of my talk tracks is almost like, if I as a CRO would have gotten all the ROI that was promised to me and we bought, you know, we, we would have sold for a billion instead of less than that, right? And, and I think that same is still true, right? When I was kind of going out buying all kinds of expensive tools, rarely ever was it like, okay, what's the ROI calculation and when is it actually going to happen, right? I think in many cases where an ROI document or something like this is helpful, it's like, oh, OK, this is the rationale of, you know, how you should be looking at this problem. And, and that's what can be solved for you. But it's less so the, you know, 30 acts in three months. I think every CFO is calling BS on that as well, right? So and I think if you want to maneuver that, I believe you need to try and talk to this guy or lady as much as possible, right? You need to try and get in front of the CFO, which in many cases will simply not happen, right? No. They will kind of just shut you down. They're trying to kind of, you know, stay behind. But then what you then need to do is you need to equip your champion or your influencer in the process to not have them talk about why they want to have the tool because the CFO doesn't care about that. You need to teach them how they need to pitch it to the CFO in the end, right? And I think this is really difficult. I think it's really difficult. And I think this is why the top reps are actually still good yeah. Because they're basically kind of, okay, you know, I understand the power map of the organization. I understand what needs to be done. I'm educating my champion to maneuver through the account as best as possible and then actually be, you know, successful and, you know, bring the deal home. I think that's what they have done all the time. Okay. <laughs> so that hasn't changed, actually.
1: You're saying it's, there's an really the amount of salespeople who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything is the same for yeah. 10 years now. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah, But so tell me, you know, do you have like a different view on this RI thing? So I think... I wouldn't say, I think there's a reason CFOs do that. Uh, yeah. You sort of sort of hinted at that. It's not just BS, really. And I agree they probably don't believe the ROI number that's there at the end. So that's all a charade, and everyone knows that. You still have to produce it, and whatever. Like, nobody believes that. I mean, no CFO who actually did the work to become a CFO would believe those numbers. But it is, as I said, they become the enforcer of sort of, increasing the barrier of entry. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that they do that. So before, you're like, Tony, RevOps guy, this guy, data guy, all these people are coming to me with, I need money, I need money. And before, I was like, okay I'll just have whatever you want here, eat some money. And now, you're like, OK, how do I raise that barrier? Well, I make you think about that two, three, four times. Yeah. So I don't just say yes the first time. I make you come back a second time. I make you come back a third time. And the process of doing that is that RI thing. Yeah. And so that's one thing. Um, Funnily enough, it's sort of a wrong approach from the CFO because, like, you're if you're my internal RevOps guy, you're maybe as a RevOps person, maybe, but typically not, you're not used to doing that. So, that's what you're talking about, which is the salesperson then has to get into the role of empowering and and, and developing that kind of thing together with the client, which is a quite a Demanding task. I mean, no, uh, the good salespeople have been doing that already maybe for a while, but now you really need to do that sort of to even have a chance to sell. Yeah. And this is, I think, I agree with that. Like, it's something that really changed is your understanding of the stakeholder map, your understanding of how to leverage people within an organization needs to be at a much higher level than it used to be two years ago to, to earn the same amount of money. So I'm thinking, so we've
0: been talking about AEs a lot, so account executives, sales reps a lot. So this is kind of go-to-market. Go-to-market is more than just account executives. I would actually go up one level and kind of talk about, well, there also haven't been as many opportunities lately as there used to be, right? It's not only a conversion problem from the AEs, it's also a how much demand is there in the market, how can we harvest that and so forth.
1: So what's your perspective on that? I mean, I think it's sort of the same, the other side of the coin. If There's less conversion, there's less demand, there's just less general time or like interest allocated volume, whatever attention allocated to dealing with new tools. So just whatever it is, what the kind of resource you're going for, it is at the end of the time, at the end of the day, a lead is, is about time. Mm-hmm. It's about getting the time and, and the light of day to talk to someone, the attention. So that is limited. Money is also limited. But all the factors, all the resources are being limited. They're being pushed somewhere else, they're being pushed towards bottom line, they're being pushed towards surviving, they're being pushed towards getting to the next round, making sure we keep the right people, we lay have maybe have to maybe after the layoffs. That's all understandable, but then that's why for the attention that is left, and apparently it, it's there, mm-hmm. and also the willingness to actually spend money and time on these things actually increases, you have to become just much better at getting that. So I think
0: that's kind of true, but I also think that what has happened in many organizations that kind of I've been working with now over the last year, people have kind of indiscriminately just cut across the board, right? It's like, okay, sales, minus 30%, marketing, minus 30%. CS, usually, kind of, there was a new pavilion Germany, um, kind of research on who was actually laying off how many people. By the way, it spiked this last month. That's kind of, you know. What is crazy. that, September? It spiked? Yeah. So this thing is still not over kind of in that sense. But what I have seen is, you know, you look at your top funnel and everyone is just slicing of 30% or 40% or 50%, whatever. But what they're not doing is what is actually working, what is not working. Let's cut the stuff that's not working and maybe even take that money and put it on the stuff that's actually working to begin with, right? And I do see this is sometimes connected to simply not understanding your revenue engine to begin with, yeah. right? Yes, you know, maybe it's a pitch for revenue operations, maybe it's a pitch for grow in here, but at the end of the day, it's like if you do not understand how you actually predictably, you know, generate more cash on the, so through, through basic opportunity generation and you just cut across the board, yeah, you know what? You will have few opportunities sitting there. And I don't think it's only a interest in the market kind of problem. It's actually kind of how you go and capture that. And I think this is one of the main reasons why we've seen opportunities collapse in general, You know, demos collapse in general, and then leading to this slimming down of your top funnel, giving this to sales rep that are having trouble time navigating this whole thing. And then you get even less out, right? So it's really a thing that at least from my perspective, is is a double whammy (laughs) knock-on effect of uh, cutting indiscriminately, you reduce your opportunities, then the sales rep struggling to sell into those accounts because of the CFO blocking the deal most of the time, and then you basically kind of, instead of this 20% loss, you suddenly have like 50, like half coming in, right?
1: I think we don't go too deep into that cutting indiscriminately part. I think that's a big part, and one of the biggest reasons why you need to be very firm on your numbers and on your revenue engine in general Absolutely on point with that argument, I think. On the customer side, it's the same thing, though. So the customer is also cutting. And the customer is especially, and now I want to get to the point of customer success, you're one of 60 vendors that the CFO maybe has at their monthly payment schedule. And they're going to go to their heads, and then they're going to say, hey, uh, Tony, you're currently using 17 tools. Make that three. It's like, all right, fuck. First of all, for you, how do you do that? But then if I'm the customer success manager of the 17 tools he's using, I better know about that. Yeah. And I better, I mean, you should know that's probably happening. It's probably a good idea if you're a software vendor, for example, to assume that this process is happening right now at your customers, at mostly of most of them. But then that is what differentiates me. Like, How, how do I make sure that I stay in, in those three that are not being falsely cut by the CFO because they don't understand what's going on? Yeah. Um.
0: So let's just kind of have the whole product side outside of this conversation, right? Because it's, um you can always blame products like, well, you know, it just needs to be better and all of those different reasons. But, you know, let's focus on the go-to-market side in this one. Um, What I've heard from CFOs, they basically stack rank the different tools and then you slice it off. They usually don't slice it off at three in this case, but then at 10 or something like that, that's sometimes already enough gain. I think the other piece is, and this always gets so many clicks on LinkedIn from Jaco Vanderkoff, and Winning by Design, it's like, well, if you, are, if you want to have recurring revenue, you need to deliver recurring impact for the customer, right? If you are not able to do that, then you will be one of those you know, on the list that are fairly far down actually. Kind of. What is my current impact that I'm getting from this tool today? I don't have anything anymore. Okay, then you know, I can move on with that, for example. It's an easy churn, basically. But for me, this is also connected to, well, is that value actually fully understood on the customer side? Right. Which then simply means um, you need to train your CSM folks, not only to do the point and click onboarding, which in many, many cases, I feel that's kind of what CSMs have become to be. Hey, you know, you need to click the red button and now you need to click the green button. Uh, But really focus on number one, what was the value that this specific company wanted to unlock with us as a vendor? Or what were were the three main pieces potentially? Are we able to prove to them that we uh, unlocked one, two or maybe three? Right, basically trying to prove those outcomes and then find a way to communicate that back to that customer so at least when they have a conversation that they're top of mind, no, actually kind of we achieved X, Y, and Z. And what's really tricky here, I believe, is when you sell the deal to begin with, which is really you know, building value, building the pain, etc. you might be talking to the economic buyer, talk to the, if you can, to the CFO. They will have one certain set of pains But the user that you're onboarding and that the CSM will have, you know, 95% of the relationship with, they're just like, oh, I really like the visualizations. And if they're then being asked by the CFO, what do you like about this tool? And they say, it looks pretty. You know what? You're going to get kicked out. But actually kind of using that communication, using this in order to almost indoctrinate the user to be able to say like, hey, those are the five things we actually were able to achieve with this thing. And I think coming up, we have the same problem. So I think we shouldn't throw this thing out. Or alternatively, well, if we do, here's the alternative scenario that we would be looking at, right? And I think there's usually something going lost in this translation from why did someone buy this originally? What was the real pain you wanted to kind of sell into versus what is the actual you know, user ending up? And what is the pain they're seeing, which will not in all cases lead back to the original reason why someone bought this thing.
1: So it's the same thing again, just on the customer success side. True, yeah. You have to educate your stakeholders. And maybe even the learning is even upfront in the sale. And actually, I, actually, this is something that I discussed with a venture of ours. If you're selling right now, this thing is going to go on for a while. Ask already now, hey, Tony, maybe you're a CFO, maybe not. What, does it, what should we do right now so that in six months from now, I'm not on a chopping block? Mm-hmm. So... I'm pretty sure most CFOs would receive that positively because yeah. it means you understand what's going on. You understand that there's a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. And that's maybe a good way to start that RI discussion rather than saying, what do you want to achieve and what is the RI and 50x and 10x? Maybe you could just go out there and say, hey, how do we make sure in a year we're not being cut?
0: I think I think that's pretty cool advice, actually. I think really, um, and some other people call it quantifiable outcomes. And you could say, eh, it sounds like RI, Tony. And it kind of, maybe it kind of is, actually. But what you really want to be able to achieve is in three months, six months, whatever the time frame is going to be, here's a quantifiable impact and quantifiable outcome that we were able to achieve by using this vendor and then kind of playing this back to the other side, right? And, and ideally when you ask that question and maybe you even have the ability to ask that to the economic buyer in the end, right? Um, you, have, you have like an email thread going to a degree yeah. and you can hit reply on that email thread and say like, hey, here, here are the stats. I appreciate that this is really difficult to figure out and achieve. I think one helpful thought process here is find ways that you could actually prove this through product usage, right? And then put those, you know, triggers and trackers basically in place to prove that through that, right? So really extending some of this, what's the outcome that we want to achieve, um, and connecting
1: that to some pieces in the product in order kind of to build that case. It's a hard one, though. I mean, so especially this building the product in such a way that we can understand and even showcase you within our product, how you're using it and how it's bringing you value, that's a tough problem, man. Like, it's not, especially if you haven't already built it that way, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to have. And it's probably a good idea to build it that way. But that's probably not going to happen tomorrow.
0: No, but, I, I, th- I mean, building products is generally really difficult. Yes. Right? Let's just say that. That's not easy either. I think the main point is actually to, and now we're talking a little bit about product, have a conversation with your product management team and be like, how could we prove this? You know, we're sitting on the sales side, we're sitting on the CS side, we need to prove that this thing is valuable on a recurring basis to those customers. How could we actually kind of build this case and how could product actually support us in that, right? So I think having that conversation, and I mean, product managers are pretty smart people also, you know, they they might be actually to figure out some of those different problems, right? And then I think on the flip side, I don't think it hurts to educate your product management team on, what are the pieces that you on the sales side and the CS side sell as the main value items and then try and rally around that and whatever comes out of that.
1: Yeah, on a short note, just to sum that up, because I think we talked a lot about sort of building cases, getting the people involved, the right people involved, staying in there. And I think as fluffy as it sounds, this is how good salespeople sell nowadays and how good sales orgs work. This is what we see, this is what works, become solid in making business cases, become solid in selling to CFOs. Just one more up-in-the-air question. Is AI going to save us through this? Should we invest all our cash into finding some way to just automate all these SDRs away and just do, make the robots do the work? Obviously, a very reductionist point, maybe another podcast, but high level, what's your thought?
0: No, I think, uh, I don't know. I'm just, the sole, I think I'm trying to skip it as much you know, as possible. in my Just hat.
1: sleeping on that one. It's
0: like, you know, yes, and you know, there will be a train hitting me, and I was like, oh, fuck, what did I do here? But uh, I think this AI piece has a lot of like little use cases and if you string them together nicely, it's, it's going to you know, help you a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to solve it. I think there are plenty of people out there that think the opposite, especially on your top funnel, that AI is going to screw a lot of things up for you. <laughs> right? yeah. It's you know, spamming, you know, super cheap to generate content, super cheap to kind of reach out to those people. You know, everyone is just waiting for this button on Apollo to kind of be like, boom, you know, AI on everything, please now. Is that going to help you and or the rest of the market? I'm not so quite sure about that, actually.
1: I mean, to be fair, there are some things, some tools out there that are good at saving you a little bit of time in in some specific areas. But to me at least the the point is not even do i think yes or no i know that right now i haven't seen anything that is able to do that thing which we talked about which is build solid cases get in front of the cfos make sure they understand the value and you're still going to sell in 2023 and 24. Um, unless that happens i also don't believe ai is going to solve this particular problem no. and if you figure
0: this out it's not going to hurt you once some of the cfo crap is over uh, so you know it's it's only going to be positive i think we're out of time actually bro yes
1: Let's go here. Thank you everyone. everyone.